Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. The Frank Jacket. Candace Bergen dials a phone very loudly. Murphy's outfit. Damn, girl. Damn. This is the time when I think I should talk about the Jersey syllabic S. Let's go. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season one, episode nine, I Would Have Danced All Night. Hello. Good evening or morning. Or whenever you listen good, to the podcast. Good time of day to you, sirs and women good morrow to you good morrow good day of good a week ago when we recorded this <laughs> <laughs> yes here we are yeah, hopefully i'm <laughs> over my cold by then uh, i really hope so i really hope so <laughs> your poor sniffles yes we're in episode nine of murphy brown written by stephen peterman and gary donzig yeah this is the first episode written by the pair and two people who become very influential in the history of Murphy Brown. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Wrote some of my favorite episodes. It is directed by Barnett Kelman. Again. And it aired January 9th, <laughs> 1989. Although, um, due to some research on my part, I do believe that it was recorded 12-12-88. Oh, they waited a while. And something really interesting is that, which I thought of, is that it's the first time I think we have it named after a song that's not necessarily played mm-hmm. at any point in the episode yeah that's what that's something i was noticing i was like oh well what's the song oh well i guess it's not that one because it never pops up yeah and it's it's <laughs> it's not obviously not like the actual song it's not i could have danced all night which is a song from my fair lady it's i would have danced all night so I it's a play on have danced all yeah. night so it's a play on the my fair lady song and as we'll talk about we do get a reference to the song also referenced, but that's not, in the, not in a literal way. That's true. I, I do want to know, dear, dear writer's room, did the, and we're jumping, you know, ahead in a couple minutes in the episode, but was the idea for the actress secretary working on My Fair Lady, did that come from the title and wanting to reference it? Or did the title come from that already being in there? I want to know the chicken or the egg of was that added in after the fact as like a little nod to My Fair Lady? We'll have to ask or, Steve and Gary. Exactly. We will be talking to them at some point, which is great. As a theater nerd, I enjoy the Easter egg. Me too. Mm-hmm. So since uh, we have two writers this time, and uh, unlike Denise and Cy, who don't have a bio in the Murphy Brown book that we're using, Stephen and Gary do. Mm-hmm. So we flipped a coin. Yes. Uh, and it came up heads. Stephen won. Yes. And so I'm going to read the bio that he wrote for himself. There, we will speak of, of Gary's bio in the future. As yes. We have many opportunities many episodes, to talk about them. Yes. This is from Anatomy of a Sitcom, an inside look at a classic in the making by Robert S. Alley and Irby B. Brown. That is a book that we're constantly referencing that you should go get. Yes. But I've noticed that because I don't reference the name every single time, sometimes mm-hmm. people get upset. Mm-hmm. So they're like, what's it? What's the book? It's also on our FAQ. Yes. Okay. Stephen Peterman. Raised in Wisconsin as the son of Jews who owned an Italian restaurant, Stephen sensed from an early age that comedy would play a big part in his life. To prove it, this Harvard graduate dropped out of law school after three weeks to study acting in New York. Four months later, he was playing a law professor on Broadway. Eventually, he moved to Los Angeles, where he continued to masquerade as a lawyer or a law student in film and television, mm. including two years on the paper chase for six years. <laughs> Unable to break into the more lucrative field of playing drug dealers and psychopaths, he turned to writing, and in 1984 teamed up with Gary Donzig. Together they have written for a number of shows including A Different World, Full House, and Amen. God, I loved Amen. 
Oh, it's so good. I was obsessed with it. Oh, it's so good. Stephen would like to thank his wife, Susan, for buying an unemployed actor a typewriter. That is a good wife. And to remind everybody, this was written in 1990. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we find that, that pretty funny and adorable. So that's Stephen's take on himself during this time period. Yes. We'll check in with him hopefully in the future and find out if he still agrees with it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> a little follow-up for everybody. Yes. So the song is Will You Love Me Tomorrow, although sometimes it's known as Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, mm-hmm. is written by uh, Jerry Goffin and Carol King. <sighs> I've mentioned that Carol King is actually one of my writing heroes, mm-hmm. which is an odd thing as a script writer. Unless you really think about it, and then it makes total sense. Well, can I quickly tell the story as to why she is my hero? Oh, I guess. Okay, I can always cut it. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, so I was very uh, interested in a movie called The Grace of My Heart, which is a 96 movie, mm-hmm. um, Alison Andrews movie with Ileana Douglas. And it is very, very, I don't want to even say loosely. It's Carol King's story. Yes. With absolutely. someone else who's yeah. not Jewish and just, you know, pretty much. And I remember my mother telling me this and me knowing a little bit about, about Carol King and sort of fascinated with her life. Mm-hmm. Cut to, I was in grad school, and I was lucky enough to be a stand-in while I was in school for the Songwriters Hall of Fame when she was inducted. Oh, Um, that's super special. It was really amazing. And um, I got to sit and watch everybody rehearse because I was a stand-in. And she comes out, and one of the few people actually showed up to rehearsal, by the way. Because she's classy. Classy. And just watching her command the space and and talk with the musicians about the orchestrations. Mm-hmm. It really sort of took my breath away because here was this strong woman taking control mm-hmm. in a forceful way, but not being overbearing, which mm-hmm. a lot of women are, much like Murphy, um, uh, criticized for. My ongoing battle with the concept of calling girls bossy. Yes. So she was being bossy. How dare she? But in an awesome way. It's always awesome. And then she went up and she sang a song called I Can Do Anything. Oh, yeah, you were screwed. I was screwed. Um, <laughs> and so I I got my first copy of Tapestry. Yes. <laughs> and and obviously you had already known her as a um, songwriter. So anyone who's not familiar with Carole King before she became the amazing singer-songwriter that she was, she was a sort of prodigy, a, a child composer who knocked on the doors at the Brill Building. So the Brill Building, which is still a building that's still in New York City at 49th Street in Manhattan in Times Square, where, where, um, is very famous for housing music industry offices and, and studios, particularly mm-hmm. in the early 1960s. And she would just go there and knock on doors and get her songs, you know, sold. Mm-hmm. And here are some examples of some of the amazing songs that Carole King has written. Will You Love Me Tomorrow, obviously. Take Good Care of My Baby. Up on the Roof. Chains. One Fine Day. Locomotion. Uh, Don't Bring Me Down. Just Once in My Life. And also Natural Woman. Mm, You might have heard of that one. So Carol King has a definite place in the Murphy fandom. Oh, yes. Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, written by Carol King and her husband at the time, Jerry Goffin. It was originally recorded in 1960 by the Shirelles, who took their single to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The song is also notable for being the first song by a black all-girl group to reach number one in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol King also re-recorded it in 1971. What also is interesting is at the time, some radio stations banned the recording um, being played because they felt the lyrics were too sexually charged. 
Wow. It is a different time. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, So let's get into the episode. Let's do it. So the opening is just a montage of of presidents past uh, and then ending with future. We have uh, Richard Nixon in the Mm yo-yo, which I believe is at the Grand Ole Opry. I think so. Yeah. That's what that's mm-hmm. what it looks yeah. like. And then we have Johnson picking up the dog by his ears, which is was a big snafu on his part. Yeah, that was that uh, showing his appendix scar, which also was a big like mistake for different reasons. For different reasons. <laughs> so uh, most of these seem to be humiliating moments in yeah, presidents' lives. They're fairly uh, most of them are. Yeah, they're not very regal. Yeah, uh, Ford falling down the stairs at Air Force One. Oh, so good. Uh, tripping as he's walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carter trying to throw a. Well, I think it's softball, though, right? Yeah. He's trying to pitch a softball. In the dorkiest form. Yeah. And then there's a Nixon press conference. And the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, is he saying I'm not a crook? But I think it's the same press conference, but he's not saying that. I'm not sure. I can't tell what he's saying. I was I was actually trying to figure out if it was. And my, I feel like I've blended a lot of Nixon yeah. press conferences together. So now I... I can't tell which one is which. I also just listened to the podcast Slow Burn, mm-hmm. which is amazing, like details on Watergate. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if I'm like playing that in. Uh, Nixon saying goodbye after he uh, resigned on Marine One, the helicopter. Uh, Reagan being sworn in, and then I guess sort of saying goodbye, I believe. I and a, yes, sorry, I have a quick protocol yes. question. Jesse in the back. Uh, Jesse in the back. Uh, Jesse Mullins. I just have a quick question. Um, is it still Marine One if he's just resigned? Oh, good point. Is it? Because I know we still say Mr. President even when they, you know, left. But yeah. Is it still Marine One? Well, that's interesting because don't presidents, after the new president has been sworn in, is taken away yeah. on Marine One? So, so is it not Marine One anymore? I think it, it, if it holds a president, is it still a president, X or president? We, we could just Google this. We, we really can just Google this. I just, um, I'm going to head back to the back of the room where I belong. Okay, that's right. Yeah. And then Quail and Bush. <laughs> Yep, there they are. <laughs> there they are. And then and then it ends with someone with amazing nails putting an a, a, a invitation to the presidential ball. Those are some studly hands. Yeah, I want to yeah. know who that was. Yeah. Into an envelope. And then um, we uh, come into Murphy is on the phone in her office, dressed in, I think... Quintessential. Quintessential Murphy Brown. Yes. Like, this is now where I went, ah, oh, we've gotten her look down. I'm this all, is it. I'm living for the scrunched up sleeves and that those amazing pieces of jewelry the the gold like necklace and that bracelet i love it's like it a cuff i love the cuffs oh. i'm not a big fan of gold i'm a silver bracelet I'm, person me neither i never but wear she, gold but she wears silver like very similar mm-hmm. after and i'm cool yep. about it but the cuffs oh, i love the cuffs it's the i i gold doesn't look as good on me but i can appreciate it when it's styled well same with like with that particular blazer and the way she looks she just looks unstoppable unfortunately with my translucent skin Gold Same. just doesn't work. You can see every major vein in my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the collar up on the mustard jacket, it's just... Mm-hmm. And it's one of the first times that I don't mind that particular hairstyle. Oh, yeah. Because I, I like season two and three better for She just kind of looks like a, a badass lioness. Yeah, it'll, it makes her, for it. her earrings show more, yeah. too. So she's, she's on the phone, and she's telling President Nixon... <laughs> That everyone wants to go, well, obviously, I mean, I'm sort of giving away the yeah, joke. We but, don't know it is. Yeah. But, but that everyone wants to go with the ball to, with her. She's just a girl on the A-list with the hottest ticket in town. It is a very clever exposition dump. I, I wrote down exposition Sally. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it works because. It ends with a joke. Because of the joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 really interesting now looking at this with a critical eye, how mm-hmm. good they are at that. It's I 
normally that stuff makes me groan mm-hmm. and i was listening yeah. the whole time i also felt like for for it's gonna it's been established and i guess will be more established that she really hates nixon she's being really nice to him she's being so nice to him right professional to him yeah and they even have a moment where they like kind of commiserate when she calls him back yeah yeah. and she's the man is a groundhog every february he's back (laughs) it's so good i'm also noticing that there are a couple of times have been just white fresh roses in murphy's office it's really pretty i want to know if she has a thing for white roses or somebody has a thing for giving her white roses well her favorite roses are sterling silver roses yes which is how this show is the reason I knew that that was a color. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize. And I remember being a little kid and being in school and people being like, what's your favorite flower? And me being like, sterling silver. <laughs> Later on, uh, Peter says her favorite flowers are orchids, but I'm going to guess that she just likes purpley flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh, it fits into canon in my head. I have to, I have to confess that mm-hmm. it, I wasn't faithful and it is no longer my favorite flower. It was just the only one I knew about at the time, but I actually am obsessed with irises. Murphy's new secretary knocks on the door, who is apparently an actress with a terrible Cockney accent. But we don't know at first because she comes in in this hideously thick, terrible Cockney accent. And Murphy's trying to figure out, where where are you from? And then she keeps saying, Brooklyn. And Murphy's like, really? Did you move there recently? Born and raised. There Born I was. Born and raised. There I was. And it is... And then she says, oh, okay. And then you find out that she's... She's an actress. She's in acting class in Washington, D.C. I mean, I shouldn't laugh because it's... it's uh, D.C. has a very thriving theater community. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you moved from Brooklyn to D.C. to study acting? This to me felt School. like... School. Sure. That's true. That's true. It just felt like something that people who live in L.A. would think of. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, that, did, that joke does feel very L.A. because all of the temps are working actors. Yeah, like maybe and it happened to someone in the Warner Brothers pool. Exactly. And honestly, that that is a good tool to work on an accent, honestly. Um, and I don't know the DC theater community at that time. I do know now that it's quite thriving. Yeah. I don't know. But again, there are there are actors everywhere and there is theater everywhere and it's not just the main hub. So no. I think I allow myself to believe yeah. it. It's, it's not a huge thing. Also it just because made she's me laugh. hysterical. Oh my God, she's the best. So her, her teacher has told her that in order to be in the character, you have to be her all day. And then she curtsies and leaves. Can we talk about Annabelle for a second? Yes, let's talk about Annabelle. Um, she's wonderful. So Annabelle Gerwich is uh, the actress who plays secretary number, what are we at? 11? 10. 10. I had 11, I can't count. She is... She's fascinating. I find her very fascinating. Same. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She's a comedian. Uh, she's a writer. Uh, you probably know her best as a as a host on Dinner and a Movie. Dinner and a Movie is an American cooking and entertainment show. It was on TBS from 95 to 2011. It's crazy. I had no idea it was still going. Also reading about her, I saw that she was in Not Necessarily the News, which I used to watch when I was super, super young on HBO. Yeah, I remember that title. And she hosted Dinner and Movie from 96 to 2002. So she was there for quite a while, which is probably why most people recognize her face. Mm -hmm. But more about her. Two of my favorite tidbits about um, the other parts of her career was that she co-wrote two episodes of the original Thundercats. Oh, I love Thundercats. Really big deal in my life, the Thundercats. Yeah, it's a really big deal that she wrote for Thundercats. (laughs) And also, in 2002, she um, appeared as a host on Meow TV with her cat, Stinky. (laughs) It was a show that was distributed in CDs inside bags of Meow Mix. It's television by cats for cats. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just cracks me up. She's done everything. She, but the most interesting thing I think about her is that, uh, aside from just she is great at what she does, was she once worked for Woody Allen, but was fired 
during an encounter in which he said several very insulting things, including saying that she looked, not my word his, retarded. The R word is a problem I have. I hate that word. I did when I was younger, and it wasn't a taboo word at the time. Um, so in, in 2006, she published a book called Fired Tales of the Canned, Cancelled, Downsized, and Dismissed. And it was other similar tales. It was based on live performances that were done on that theme that people had shared their stories. And in 2007, I remember seeing this, um, completed the Fired documentary film. I just think that's a super empowered and smart way to connect people who have had similar negative experiences and get something good out of it. She's like super accomplished. Yeah, she's We will link you to her bio. It's insane. And she's amazing in this episode. She's, oh God, she just keeps getting better. So anyway, that's Annabelle. Murphy comes out into the office and Jim tells Murphy at the coffee island that he's going to anchor the inaugural parade with Valerie Bertinelli. (laughs) She's really mature, don't you think? Murphy is concerned that she hasn't gotten her invite to the ball yet. And uh, Mm. Jim wonders if uh, maybe Earl in the mailroom did something because he hates her. This is our is this our first Earl in the mailroom? No, I think it's the second. Is it the second? I thought you and I had just been like it's probably Earl in the mailroom. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's the thing, guys. Like you were probably watching them, like binging them. We are in a haze of Murphy Brown (laughs) that we don't remember the last thing we watched. Wait, I know what comes later, and I know what happened. Pretty sure that we that we've mentioned Earl in the mailroom already. I should start making notes on this. I think I thought. I think I assumed that the mullet guy was Earl from the mailroom. Yeah, no, no, no. We never meet Um, Earl. Yeah, exactly. But I remember that's. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Yeah. There are certain people we do end up meeting. We meet like uh, uh, the uh, Ernie, the security guard. I think we end up mm-hmm. meeting him. Yeah. We never meet Earl, though. We know. He know. just hates her so As far much. as I remember, it has been 10 seasons. <laughs> but yeah, Murphy refused to uh, pay for his Earl to Graceland fund. Um, so Jim thinks she should call the committee and just get another ticket. And then Frank comes out oh. with his Frank jacket. The Frank jacket. The Frank jacket. It's the first time we have Frank's jacket. And it's, it's a staple. Yes, and I hadn't noticed he didn't have it yet, and I was so excited. And then I was reminded how, at the time, I didn't know that it was this very particular jacket. Oh, yeah. Until I was an adult, Mm -hmm. I just, it was Frank's jacket. Mm -hmm. So Frank is wearing an MA-1 bomber jacket, Mm -hmm. also known as an MA-1 flight jacket. It is the American military jacket, uh, which was first developed in 1958 by Dobbs Industries. It's it's so striking because of that orange safety lining on the inside. So it is known for having the orange lining and the sort of green army, you know, outside. And it was particularly made to be warming in all kinds of weather. The MA-1 jackets have become fashionable worldwide, especially in the United States, Japan, and the United Kingdom. And what's interesting is that there are several times in which they have become iconic, including Steve McQueen wearing one in The Hunter. And then eventually getting into sort of 80s references, uh, Richard Dean Anderson wore one as MacGyver. Yeah, MacGyver. So the fact that as an adult, I found out that this was a very specific jacket, not knowing it at the Mm -hmm. time, this is such a specific wardrobe choice for Frank. You know that Frank got this on assignment. Totally. He definitely got this because he did a piece on, and it was a, you're one of us now kind of gesture. Yeah. You don't just buy one of those. I mean, now you can, but. Now you can, yeah. Um, So it's commonly known as a bomber jacket, and uh, it makes Frank super cool. He is always cool. Yeah. So Frank is trying to get to assignment, but everyone seems to want to stop him. 
<laughs> Lovely rule of, th- rule of threes. Murphy asks if Frank got his ticket, which he did, but he's not sure he's going to go because his poker buddies are going the night for their annual trip to Vegas. And what I love is that Murphy goes, oh, that. <laughs> and the way that she says it. She you, hates it. She hates it. Oh, I love how that she hates it's it. It's such a great specific thing to like getting a relationship and knowing mm-hmm. exactly in the small little words. And I just love that. I also, what I, I also love what it says about their, their friendship and the adult nature of friendships that you're not, not all of your friends are each other's friends. Yeah. Or, and you have your kind of parallel, sometimes intersecting lives. And the fact that we know these two are best friends, but they each have their own circles outside of it. She had her friend who was pregnant earlier and mm-hmm. then he has his buddies and so on. Like they're not, they don't have to agree on everything to still yeah. be so close. And like she has her female friends and he has his male mm-hmm. friends. And I, when it comes up later, I, they're the Venn diagram of friendship. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. And look at your hands. You're She's welcome everybody. You can't see it. <laughs> but, but Frank's like, no, it's absolutely great. You know, they get, they get a suite, they gamble all night. And then he says, and take some raw meat to the Siegfried and Roy show. Ooh, which, which was funny then, but not now. No. So this joke is not funny anymore, particularly because in 2003, Roy was bitten on the neck and dragged by a seven-year-old male white tiger. Had severe blood loss. Like, it was pretty bad. They did eventually close the show. And a quick PSA for everyone that um, animals don't need to be your entertainment. And while I don't, while I, I don't sing and dance for someone to have been mauled by a lion, uh, or a tiger, actually, I, I'm okay that they shut down because things like that and the circus and so on are quite cruel and we should find other ways to preserve animal life. Yeah, it's, it, it's surprising that this didn't happen more often. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, Frank, in a great delivery, uh, tells Murphy, did you check with Earl? He hates you, you know. And he has this sort of like baby face when he says it. He hates you, you know. You know. Yeah. Um, but also kind of half like, you know, messing with her. And then Murphy, I feel like is sort of in the middle of a classic Murphy face. And that's what I sort of love is that she doesn't get to finish sort of the sentence mm-hmm. when the secretary interrupts her. Oh, that God, her, so her good. dressmaker is on the phone uh, about her, her dress for the inaugural ball. And then Frank and Murphy exchange the most priceless look. Uh, about this woman screaming in yeah. Cockney. <laughs> and, and Frank seems intrigued. He just kind of like oddly looks at her even after Murphy goes away. But um, she tells him, don't ask, which mm-hmm. then I went, original name of the pilot. Uh-huh. So Corky comes in as Frank is again trying to leave. And I am so proud of her in this moment. So good. I am so proud of her. So she catches Frank. She has something personal to tell him. Mm-hmm. She's on a mission. And she kind of demands that, you know, she is not invited to the ball and Frank is and that he should take her. Mm-hmm. And I love that he's like, he's got to go. And she goes, you can spare five minutes, Frank. This is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And when he doesn't want to take her, she goes, what exactly is your problem? Well, wait, first I love it. She goes, well, I've been excluded, Frank. It's very humiliating. And the way she says excluded, it's such a deliberate, she has thought out academically what has happened. And she's going to address it and fix it. I just love how focused she is. And I so like, it. she's not going to take it. And this thing that mm-hmm. she wants, and she's going to get it. And she's going to demand it from Frank. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, there might be other people I want to take. There are other women in my life. Yeah. Like Brenda. Who, who looks like she has a flotation device strapped to her chest. Now, let's be fair to Brenda. I'm sure she, you know, is a person. Hey, I it's actually think that's fair. way less about Brenda. It's more about Frank. It is about Frank. I'm it's just about being, Frank. I'm being funny. It's about Frank only wants the big boobs, which, hey, Frank, we'll eventually get on to another mm-hmm. type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So but yes, every ladies, women, because I hate saying ladies, women, let's look at the common denominator and not at each other. Exactly. So Frank again is trying to leave, but then Miles gets his attention with another personal <laughs> issue. He needs advice about asking out Jackie. I love as Frank watches as the, the elevator door shuts again, yeah. just wistfully. <laughs> and the two of them have like this vaudeville routine. It's so good. Jackie who? <laughs> He's like Jackie in the art department. They've been flirting, you know, but they have differences. And Frank's like political or religious. Like, what is it? And Miles is like, she's taller than than me. And Frank's like, so what? I love that Frank's just like, I yeah. don't really care. And then again, this sort of vaudeville exchange where he's like, then ask her out. But I can't. Then ask her out. But she's taller than me. Then don't ask her out. Like, this is whole like yep, back and it's forth. It's so good. And Miles is like, you're not getting this, Frank. He's like, I don't have time to get That's this. Like, I don't have time to get it. And then Frank really can't take it anymore. But right before, you know, he stopped at the elevator, which is full of people by mm-hmm. Murphy. He's like trying to squeeze in. Um, who has something personal to ask. And I'm pretty sure that the guy who speaks in the middle, who we've seen in the office, mm-hmm. I think that eventually becomes Marv. I'm not sure. I think so too. That's what I was wondering because I was I, watching. Because I Googled the name and I can't find a picture, mm-hmm. but he definitely is becomes like a character in the show who, ha- who like yes. is has one or two lines and he's part of the staff. He's earned his background work, man. Yeah. Um, And he's really good. Like, he already has, like, a thing going on. Like He's annoyed. Yeah, he's already (laughs) annoyed before, like, even gets it. He's watched these people so Um, many times. And Murphy is really neurotic right here. Yeah. You know, she, 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 could it be that it's been a mistake? You know, she's always on the list, you know. And, and I think what's interesting is that through most of this, Murphy is not necessarily playing, like, angry. She's Mm -hmm. really concerned. She is. It's not about, I'm pissed I'm not invited. It's about, what if I'm not in the inn anymore? Yep. This is a whole, ex- the way that last episode, Jim was having his life for death and end of life crisis. Murphy's having her death of relevancy crisis. Yeah. And for a woman <laughs> in her forties, that can be a legitimate thought, particularly in this time, That's even today. kind of what the origin of the show is predicated upon. Yeah. So I think it's a nice sort of underlining thing and, and, and it could have been played different by Candace. Mm-hmm. And and they're trying, you know, they're trying to get the elevator going and she keeps asking and he's like, just call them, just call them. And then she turns around and she's like, Frank, do you think, and then the whole ele- elevator goes, call him. <laughs> it's so good. It's really great. Yeah. It's a great sitcom moment. I, I love those sort of sitcom moments that we don't get as much it's, anymore. And it feels very much like the FYI offices. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. That's, yeah. We, we said it's a special episode for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next day we're in Murphy's office and all right, I got to talk to you about this. Murphy's in a new outfit. It's the first Murphy outfit I don't enjoy. <laughs> Mainly because I wore that outfit when I was, you know, six. And it, it doesn't quite translate to a, to Murphy for me. It's a uh, it's a gray turtleneck, which I, hey, I love a turtleneck. It's a gray turtleneck in a suede hot pink vest that is quite plain and not quite cut in the stylish lapel angled structured quality that her I other like pieces it. are. I hate it. I wouldn't wear it. But I like that the color pops. I like color pop is very different than a badly cut okay. suede vest. I like it better with the um, gray coat sweater that she wears later. But I also love the jewelry. So I am not arguing with a color combo. Sure. I'm arguing with I hate that vest. And I respect that. <laughs> I think that, I, not, that vest could have been done better. And she has she has a silver jewelry on. She's got a cuff bracelet. Um, gray hose. Mm, oh, yeah. I love that she or are they just trouser socks? Oh, good question. I assume they were hose. I mean, trouser socks are just knee-high hose. That's true. I'm a fan of pantyhose, and I know that it's I not love a thing pantyhose. anymore. It's coming back. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I remember once asking my friend, should I wear pantyhose? Mm-hmm. And she was like, it's not 1987, Lauren. 
It doesn't matter. It is now. I just like that joke. <laughs> so she's on the phone and she sounds like she's been arguing a little bit. Um, we hear her say, do I sound like a Murray to you? And and then she says, get me Bob Prescott, which I, I, I think it's spelled Bob Prescott. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. She says it's, Prescott. it's interesting Prescott. that she, I, I noted that too. Yeah. He's the she's chairman of the inaugural it. ball. Anyway. She's pronouncing it very differently. Prescott. Prescott. Um, so maybe it is spelled differently. I wrote down Prescott, but yeah, I think my brain just adapted it. Um, and Miles comes in. And he has a he has a personal question. And what I love is what she's done is to speak to him. She does a thing that I still sometimes do, I think, with my cell phone, <laughs> because I'm used to having a real phone. And she has the phone. She's on hold, basically holding, trying while someone tries to figure out who Bob Prescott is, because they should already know this. And she takes the phone from the receiver from her mouth and just turns it as if it's attached to her ear. And it's I love turned this up. Moment. And she's talking to him. He's like, I have, a per- I have to ask you a question, a personal question. And she's like, just ask Jackie out. He's like, oh, man, you know. Never tell Frank anything. No, she said, no. So he says, oh, you know. And then she says, everybody knows. Never tell Frank anything, Miles. And he does this big, dramatic, oh, geez. He stretches it out so long. (laughs) It's so great. And she's very encouraging. She says, just ask her out. And he has this little, and he starts to pay, he gets out of the chair and he's pacing back and forth and saying, I don't want to look foolish. What will people say? What would you say if, if you saw a taller woman with a shorter man? She says, hello, Dr. and Mrs. Kissinger. Because, and I, I spent a while trying to find a good picture, um, Henry Kissinger was married to Nancy Kissinger. Uh, she is a statuesque lady who did not mind wearing some heels as well. And we will put a picture up because it's actually quite amusing. So how tall is she? I know she's taller than him, but like how tall? She is 5'8", which is, that's a statuesque woman who clearly wore nice heels, which are tall. It's about as tall as Candace, though. Mm-hmm. But Henry Kissinger is 5'9". At oh, this so, point, so she's only taller when she wears heels. Yes, but most of the time we saw them out at events. Gotcha. And so she's one inch shorter. She wears heels. She's immediately. So I was over expecting him. like an Allison Janney, Leslie Jordan thing exactly. going on. That's what I was thinking. And but and it looks like it in the picture. So I want to know how tall these shoes are that she's wearing all the time. Oh, Anyhow, for her. so she tells him that you know he's smart and he's funny and he knows all the state capitals. Although I wouldn't lead off with that. She's trying to encourage Miles basically to shut him up because she wants to focus on what matters. And what matters is that she's not on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I love when she goes, I've been on the list since Lincoln. Which is not factually accurate. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> but she's saying that she's old. Yeah. And, uh, and she needs a Prescott to, uh, or Prescott, to Prescott. Prescott to pull some strings and he won't. And she's like, fine. Next time your fat kid wants to meet Maria Shriver, forget it. And it made me think, I was like, okay, so so Maria Shriver is, is a name at the time. See, I love when they mention all these sort of um you know cohorts or not what's the word contemporaries yes of murphy so we've had diane sawyer um and here's what i came up with tell me what if you have what you remember oh. i feel like this would be the women it would be barbara walters right connie chung linda ellaby which we've talked about maria shriver diane sawyer right is mm-hmm. there anyone that i'm missing like those i think would be like the top women along with murphy i mean they're the people i think of when i think of that time period i'm yeah. sure there's somebody else yeah but, but that was off the those top are, of my head yeah those yeah. are those are the big hitters yeah that's what i think about that era at least yeah and, uh, and Maria Shriver is a Kennedy. A little, I mean, little tidbit. Just FYI. Yeah. So she goes out into the the rest of the office and the gangs around the table. And she's announcing the fact that she can't get on the list. But anyway, and sweet Corky is <laughs> just, she's trying so hard to be supportive. But Corky still says all the wrong things. She goes, 
Oh, Murphy, I know why I'm not going. I'm not on the A-list, but to have been there and fallen. This, that is, this is just too sad. <laughs> She's but so empathetic. Faith's delivery on, but to have been there and fallen. It's so, so good. good. It's, I just I, kept saying it out loud. <laughs> me too. This is just a really great, and I, I, I always remember that part of the quote. Mm-hmm. When, when, yeah, not well, the whole thing. And the thing that's happening is that, I almost said Faith. Corky is is saying Murphy's worst fears yeah. is that she has fallen. <laughs> and so Murphy, of course, is just pretending that she thinks it's a mistake. Um, and the boys don't necessarily agree. Jim brings up uh, the Contra piece. Uh, but, and Miles brings up Bush's tenure at the CIA. And Jim says, and not to forget your interview with the girl Dan Quayle paid to take to the senior prom. Ding, ding. Jim says that he thinks it's the it's the handwriting on the wall. Which I'm not used to hearing the handwriting on the wall. I'm used to the writing on the wall. Oh, yeah. And that really stuck out to me. And is that the original? Is that like a, is that the original phrase or is that a Jimism? I don't know. I mean, it would make sense because Jim would know like the original. People used to handwrite. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It stuck out to me and it it was very Jim. And Corky, (laughs) again, we talked about this earlier. Corky is constantly trying to find opportunities to be girls together in the way that Corky knows feminine interaction to be and it's she just very sweetly says no they can be girls together they can um didn't doesn't she say they can wear their pajamas no they're gonna eat um well i know they, they're gonna do that i just yeah. thought she said them about what they're wearing no i don't remember that okay. i just remember so that, yeah. she says they can be girls together they'll eat cookie dough they'll watch the ball on tv and then they'll each pick out which one they're going to which man they're going to marry and murphy looks like she wants to die she wants to die and i love because she's just it's a sweet offer. It's, it is. It's it, so sweet. Wouldn't it be j- my ideal way to spend but it's, time. There's nothing wrong with it. No. There's nothing l- that's lacking feminism just in it. It's her just, thing. It's her attempt to connect again and just not reading the room. <laughs> and she's still so excited about it. And then the uh, the secretary shows up, but she has a very different accent. And it's a, it's a very specific Southern Belle kind of accent. <laughs> and... Murphy asks what happened to Eliza Doolittle, and she very deadpan goes, she's dead. And Miles just looks like he's going to pass out. Um, and <laughs> my favorite is, thing this of this best. entire section is Jim is so uncomfortable. And for some reason, she decides that her cat in a hot tin roof is very, Maggie the cat is very into Jim. <laughs> she calls him Big Daddy. Um, but and that w- wouldn't that be her father, though? I think so. So she's not really this, into him. She's just. I'm, here's the deal. I'm not sure. She's hot that, and bothered. I'm not sure that Annabelle's secretary oh. is as well versed on Maggie the cat. <laughs> she didn't actually read the play. I don't. I'm not sure she did. I'm pretty. I. I wonder if she watched the uh, the Liz uh, movie mm-hmm. and um, didn't pay that much attention. It was just practicing how she moved and looked. Yeah. Um, she and gets up in Jim's personal right space, right up in there, and he's just hold her out right there, young lady. And he just like he, it looks like he's trying to recoil inside of himself, Jim. It's he's he, just like he doesn't he, know his what to chin do. is slowly receding into his neck. He just oh my gosh, it's so good. She's talking about herself, and she's 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 just feeling herself right now. And she says she is young and vital and ready. Mm-hmm. And Murphy goes and fired. I I noticed something too that the reaction of Murphy and Jim is like the. The middle of their forehead just sort of like ri- like a wrinkle furls in this sort of like what <laughs> what are you doing? It's happening? It's it's pretty funny. It's just the worst, and I love it. She's just chewing that scenery as a guest star, and it it makes my life. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Murphy starts storming off to her uh, to her office, and um, she pulls out her phone and dials up. Uh, is it Senator Kemp? Yes, yes. Because then she mentions Senator Dole. Yeah, that's what it is. And if I may add um, something that I remembered watching mm-hmm. this scene, Candace Bergen dials a phone very loudly. Oh, she does. And I don't know if it's supposed, oh, she if does. It's sitcom That's not dial- the first time she has. No, no, no. And then I'm remembering other scenes, and and I I love it. But I'm I'm wondering. Is this how Candace Bergen dials a phone, or is this sitcom dialing a phone? Candace Bergen's had to replace a lot of phones, if that is true. Hey, I am a small woman, and um, I walk very loudly. So, you know, things things can happen that yep. don't seem to fit a person. It, I can see it being a strong Murphy choice, but I can also see that just being something she plays up that is her own quality. She also has awesome nails, and Always. it might just be like trying to hit it without like yeah. messing up the manicure. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so she finally <laughs> calls Nixon back. <laughs> And um, she leans on the, is it the wall or the bookcase or her The dad? bookcase. I know she leans because she has this kind of thing where she's like coming back. And you can tell she's been on the phone all day. All day. And she says, I know you know how it feels. Goodbye, President Nixon. I also have to give a shout out to the wall <laughs> flap, which we rarely see. I'm sorry, the wall flap? Okay. So <laughs> what so is this, this because, creature you speak of? All right. So on the other side of Murphy's office in mm-hmm. the set and I may be wrong, but this is what I remember, is the townhouse. Mm-hmm. So, pretty sure. God, I'm probably wrong. But I didn't research this, but this is what I remember. And so I believe they had to put that flap so that you can't see the other set. <gasps> oh, that makes complete sense. Because so, we never see her that far. We never see her that far in the office. And when they do... And that's why I didn't know what she was leaning on. Yeah. So it always cracks me up when sitcoms do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, where you see a wall that usually is not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just kind of love it. Mm-hmm. So apparently on the other wall is some like frame stuff, some sort of uh, Amazing. Indian bl- blanket thing. I don't Amazing. know. But uh, yeah, I kind of just love that stuff to me. It's a little, little Easter egg. <laughs> uh, so we're at Phil's um, and Jackie has beat Miles to Phil's. And uh, very quickly, uh, before we go into this, just because she's so amazing, can we talk about Susie Plaxton, please? Oh, can we? Now I'm going to revert to Jesse first because... Jesse um, has something in common with Susie. Well, Susie is multiple in multiple ways of the Star Trek canon. And Jesse is technically Star Trek canon. Oh, I am Star Trek canon. My name is Star Trek canon. Would you please explain to everybody what that means? I have a friend named David Mack, David Allen Mack, he also goes by. And he is a writer who writes uh, Star Trek canon. So they're the novelized stories that expand beyond what you've, seen, you've just seen in the movies and the TV show. Um, so he wrote... Back in 2014, a, a DS9, a Deep Space Nine companion novel called Disavowed, in which he wrote in a character named after me, who is an, um, an operator within the, um, the Mirror Universe. And I'm introduced as a doe-eyed young human woman named Jesse Mullins. And there's and I and you know what he doesn't kill me so that was super excited because apparently that's a rarity when he writes people in. Nice. <laughs> so I survived David Mack. <laughs> but so Susie has been in ev- pretty much everything I love. Uh, so she uh, specifically in Star Trek she has played a Vulcan, a half Klingon, an Andorian, and a Q. See, but I always remember her as birthing Worth's son. Yes, that's what she's most known for. And that's that's my favorite character that she plays. They have such an amazing relationship. So Susie is best known throughout Star Trek for playing Worf's first mate, uh, Kalar. 
And she is a half-human, half-Klingon. She challenges everything he assumes has to be by rote and by rule in the Klingon culture, um, especially because he was a Klingon raised by humans and has now identified so much with just one culture. And so she's a great foil for him. And it uses the fact, like this show does, that she is so tall. She is six foot two, um, opposite Worf at six four, not including his... Very interesting hair t- hairstyles. Michael Dorn is 6'4". That's amazing. Worf is even taller, depending on the hairstyle. <laughs> kind of obsessed with height as a short woman. I, It's it's fun. Uh, she's been in... She, also, people, go check out her actual website. It's uh, Susie Plaxon. We'll put a link to it. .com. It's really, really fun. She has... She was a voice for one of the... Um, a brontosaurus and dinosaurs... Because if you listen, especially when she pay, plays like Kalar, she has such great vocal control. Mm-hmm. She's so fascinating. She was in The Man Who Came to Dinner. She was in Wag the Dog, which, oh, that was so Minnesotan. You're welcome. <laughs> um, she was on Everybody Loves Raymond, Mad About You, How I Met Your Mother. She's been doing Bones, Love and War. Yes. So now <laughs> ding, it's my ding, turn. Ding. Uh, so I had seen her for the first time on Next Generation when she played these amazing scenes with Worf, but because of the makeup, didn't know it was her until after. So mm-hmm. I really became a fan of her when she played Meg on Love and War, which is such a great character. And she's so funny in it. And she has the big hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and something about even just seeing Susie in this particular episode. Oh, she's was, so fabulous. She's fabulous, but I also was like, I miss my hair. <laughs> no, no, my hair didn't look like this in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, she the 90s. has the hair I always dreamed of having. Well, my hair used to look like that, um, but I cut it all off because it was a lot to handle. And it looks adorable. Now. Thank you. Um, this is the new me, new decade, new Lauren. Yeah. So um, I am a big fan of Susie and I had forgotten that she was in season one and was Mm -hmm. so excited to see her come up. And this is also a great example of how, you know, a career over time, obviously, you know, she was cast in a show that Diane uh, wrote, Mm -hmm. produced and show ran. And then she probably remembered her and, you know, wanted to bring her in for the show and then cast her in the show. And funny enough, so Jay Thomas, as we know, was in Love and War. Mm -hmm. When Jay passed away in August, I was looking for some sitcoms of his that I hadn't seen. And I saw that he was on an episode of Family Ties. Mm -hmm. I think playing a character named Jerry, oddly enough. It suits him. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, and kind of a jerk. And I'm watching it and Susie shows up and they're in a scene together. And I thought, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. They've worked together before. It is the smallest, smallest. I world. also have to mention that on Susie's website, her sort of subtitle is Multimedia Artist at Large. Yes. Sculpting, writing, singing, acting. She is a, a woman of all trades. She just gets better. She, she does. just gets better. And still has the amazing red hair. Yes. One day, maybe I'll be a redhead. That's the dream. I, I can do, I just want the curl, man. I can definitely pull off that red. I just want that curly hair. I, I can't, straight hair woes. Can't be taught. I'm sorry. Okay. Also, I have to mention that I think that Miles has a type. Oh, yes, he does. She reminds me a little bit of Audrey mm-hmm. in the adorableness. Mm-hmm. She's quite adorable. I love her whole outfit. It's That's it, not a skirt, right? It's just sort of like a wrap thing that she's yeah. got. Whatever. And she's got this kind of like, it's like a kind of gypsy skirt. Thing. Yeah. You can see that she works in the art department. Yes, she's very I, arty. Yeah, she. I can see that that outfit around town all yeah. day. Miles is sort of nervous. You know, she beat him there, and then they sit down, and and he sits on one of his legs so he can be taller. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. 
and pretty much is that you know he he's sort of meandering getting to the point of asking mm-hmm. her out and so 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 Jackie thinks that she's been fired oh yeah the because he doesn't want to talk to her and make it uncomfortable at work so he wanted mm-hmm. to you know sit here and talk about it and you can just see her face drop yeah and she has sort of a whole little sort of hissy fit and he goes no 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 I wanted to invite you to the ball uh, which she's really taken aback as mm-hmm. I think most people would. That's not really a first date no. thing. No, that's a big one. Miles has gone a little overboard. Mm-hmm. So Miles has the most gleeful look on his face because she says yes. It's this like happy little adorable look. And, you know, she, she'd hoped that, you know, he'd ask her out, mm-hmm. but not like this. <laughs> um, so he asked for to, her to dinner and she said she can't. And she means, well, she can't because she has a deadline, you know, mm-hmm. we'll kill her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on the art cards. Which I, I asked a friend of mine who does graphics for ABC mm-hmm. News. And, and the time period she believes that the art cards are probably sort of the graphics that sort of are behind. That's what I assumed they were. Yeah. yeah. And she said that there was a time when they were actually sort of drawn. But I doubt mm-hmm. that they were drawn. I, I feel like people refer to art as the graphic. I mean, yeah, I need now, art on that. Absolutely. I need art yeah. on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any visual aids. Exactly. So then, you know, he's all excited and, and Phil comes up and he goes, better not break her heart there, Miles. Looks like she could beat the hell out of you. <laughs> Which I mean, knowing that she goes and plays a half Klingon, she can. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. We'll put some clips up. Apparently casting thought that as well multiple times. So uh, Murphy enters and she's now wearing that sort of gray white flex sweater coat that I said I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. She needs to know why she's not invited because Phil knows everything and Phil's like he has no idea why she isn't going. Uh, you know, Murphy can't take this. You know, she she wants to be sure, you know, if there, is there an enemies list, which is obviously a reference to Nixon's enemies list. Yep. Phil's got the cool suspenders. I feel like this is the first time I can sort of tell they're different, but I don't know what's on them. Yeah, I, I too couldn't small. quite yeah, figure couldn't it out. Tell. Murphy is worried that she is on the outs. You know, one moment, you know, you don't get an invite, then they don't return your calls, and then you're hosting one of those afternoon shows with Regis Philbin. Oh. So that is a reference to Regis and Kathy Lee. Yes. And uh, and Phil is like, you know, no, 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 unless, of course, he's on the outs. And now he's concerned that he's on the outs. And he, he goes, what am I talking about? I'm Phil. I feel like he says a lot eventually. I'm mm-hmm. Phil. Yep. He's uh, definitely getting into his like, I'm Phil yeah. thing. So uh, Murphy's got to get to the ball and then she runs into Frank and everyone knows what she's going to ask and Phil's, mm-hmm. Phil goes, I can't watch this. <laughs> Murphy thinks that Frank should a- ha- go with her to the ball, but unfortunately he can't because he asked out Mary Hart. Murph, I love her. <laughs> we all love Mary Hart. He's like obsessed with her for like two seasons. Oh, he really is, but... So was the world. I guess so. I was a huge fan of Entertainment Tonight. I watched it every day. <laughs> I have some recordings of interviews of the cast that... Oh, yeah. I, 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 I watched it all the time. And I, I don't know if I just had low standards or if it was just not as gossipy as it is right today. Entertainment I, News. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I was as oversaturated with it, so I found mm-hmm. it gossipy as much as I do now because yeah. now it's just constantly and everywhere. For those who aren't maybe sure what we're referencing, uh, Mary Hart hosted, co-hosted, mostly Entertainment Tonight for 29 years. Jeez. I mean, I remember <laughs> at the time it was like really the only place where I could get entertainment news. Exactly. That's why I watched it. So you know, and particularly. On Mondays, mm-hmm. they would have Murphy Brown stuff yes. because it was going to... It act- always lined up with what was happening. It was happening. a big publicity machine. Yes. You know? I mean, not that it isn't today, mm-hmm. but, you know, it was, it was very specific. But because there were fewer mainstream options for that, mm-hmm. it was the place to go. And also because it... I forget, was it at... 
well, it depends on your time zone, but it yeah. always aired right before all the prime time started. Yeah, it was like on at like seven thirty. Yeah, so you, well, I think it was like five thirty. Oh, well, you're Mountain Time, right? Not Central. Central, sorry. So I was like, it's like five thirty or six thirty, somewhere around there, where it was right before you got into prime time. So you could generally watch that while you were like cleaning up from dinner or that kind of thing. You know, it was it was perfectly timed, and it was just at the it was the right flash in the pan moment for entertainment. Mm-hmm. And Mary Hurt also was a super. It was, she's alive, everybody. Um, super classy woman who handled with a lot of grace. So she was just much beloved by the country. And Frank. And a fox. Yeah. Yeah. Frank has a type as well. Frank definitely yeah. has a type. Uh, and something that uh, made me think of something you mentioned in a previous episode, because Miles is sort of an extra for a little bit in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And you had mo- mentioned, you when know, Jim was Jim. back there, yeah. And um, it reminded me of a story that on West Wing in the first season, they used to do that too. Mm-hmm. And then as the show went on, they realized that that meant they couldn't be like resting. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like this is a very first season thing to be yes. like, oh, yeah, I'll be an extra in the out. background. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, I could be in my trailer. Because I'm exhausted because yep. we've been doing a lot of shows this week For and I have so a lot long. of lines to learn and I'm going to go rest. Yep. <laughs> um, so it just made me laugh because I was I thought, I think this is going to stop happening after yep. season one. Yep. <laughs> That's why we don't notice it. Murphy uh, sort of uh, sits on the, the stool really sort of rejected and um, she notices Miles and, and she realizes that, that, that he needs to go with someone like her, someone famous. And he says, you know, thanks to her, he asked out Jackie. And he's got this, like, beautiful, like, smile on his face. Oh, he's so happy. Yeah. And she's like, the woman is six feet tall. Do the words Mutt and Jeff mean anything to you? <laughs> now, I realize that the the Mutt and Jeff joke has mm-hmm. been a joke um, that I've heard all my life. And I yeah. thought I got it. But I realized I didn't. Because oh. I looked it up. All right. Tell me. Let's see if I... If I knew it. It's probably the oldest joke on Murphy Brown. In Ooh, a, in a, that is quite the claim. In the sense, I mean, I could be wrong, that it's a cartoon that goes back as far as 1907. Wow, it's that old? About two mismatched tin horns. And, I mean, uh, that's what I thought they were referencing. Yeah, um, so I didn't know this. I mean, I, I knew that Mutt and Jeff was like a thing. I didn't um, realize it was 1907. Yeah. Well, the comics were remained in syndication until 1983. So the idea was that Mutt and Jeff were... Short and tall. Yes. Yes. I also love that that Miles is like, this is not an attractive side of you, Murphy. And she goes, oh, shut up. <laughs> I love it. Because they have a rapport. They do. But it's like, this is why women love Murphy. Yeah. She does not care. She's like, oh, don't An attractive side. You know what? Screw you. Screw you. So Corky enters and Corky seems really guilty, you know, and, and Murphy's like, you know, we shouldn't even watch, you know, we should just, just, I know our pride is hurt. Like she's obviously trying to use Corky to pretend that everything's okay with her. She's like, let's go bowling. And Corky's like, I'm so glad that's so healthy that you think that, but <laughs> I'm actually going to the ball with the White House caterer. I'll mostly be alone, but at least I'll get served first. <laughs> Hey, kudos to Corky. She is scrappy and she got herself to that party. She is. She <laughs> hopes Murphy isn't upset. And Murphy goes that she's glad that, that Corky's going. It will give me a chance to break into your apartment and set your clothes on fire. And the threat's coming. Yes, but this is what I love is that Corky's learning. Uh-huh. Because she used to always go, oh, kidder. But Corky thinks she's kidding. And then she kind of pauses. And you can tell that she's worried that Murphy isn't kidding. You don't mean that. Yes, I did. I really did. Remember, this is, and because she's learned, because this is after she's been officially pranked by Murphy. So she knows that this could really happen. Murphy just sort of laments that, you know, four years ago at this time, she was seated between George Schultz and Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to watch the whole thing with Phil. And <laughs> Phil's like, no, I'm actually going to be watching it. Murphy's like, she can't believe it. Phil's been a Democrat since Roosevelt. 
<laughs> it seems that Phil accidentally gave um, President Bush the thousand points of light speech. He didn't think he'd actually use it. It was a joke. He didn't think he'd get him elected. Because of course Phil did. So we're back at FYI. And the elevator door's open. And in comes Jim. Jim is... My favorite Jim, he is in a black trench coat and a matching black hat, and he's walking quite stiffly. <laughs> he has this all he almost looks like a little doll with the way the hat's seated and the way seated on his head and the way he's just kind of framed. He's just walking forward. Looks a little uh little shocked, <laughs> I guess I'll say. And everyone's saying, Oh, he did so well at the at the inauguration parade, and they they thought he did so great. And then he's and he's like, Thank you, and yeah, and he's starting to take things off. He's like, But when that little baton twirler lost control, my whole life flashed in front of me. <laughs> he just looks so haunted. Charles oh, his delivery. He's so perfect. And um they all start talking about how excited they are for the ball and then Murphy walks in. And Jim really, really really terribly tries to fix the awkward moment which doesn't work and and murphy doesn't mind that they were talking about it because she is going to to do what journalists should be doing and abstaining from this event because if they're going to be real impartial journalists uh, they they wouldn't go true journalists is what she says too which i love that she's just trying to use that and everyone's like and if everyone else was they -hmm. wouldn't go either and they all are just, and she's she's very high and mighty and per, and sure of this, and then she's going to convince all of them, and all of them are like, no, nah, nah. oh, agreed, but we're still gonna go. Yeah. Oh come on, guys, I'm gonna <laughs> be all alone. It's it's yeah. so petulant, and I love it. <laughs> and Corky's saying, she's like, this is so sad. Now I'm torn. I'm still going, but I'm torn. <laughs> yeah, Corky's just as selfish as Murphy. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I mean, I know you'd go, so <laughs> but honest. Exactly. That's what I love. She's she, honest in her. They're both honest yes. in their own way. They both lack it. a certain filter. Yeah. And and I love that she's. She also knows Murphy would go. Yeah. And and Murphy just starts going off on how she was like living a charmed life and all this, and now she feels like she's being punished, and she's kind of going off on this like doom and gloom yeah. and accepting. She didn't her appreciate fate. it, and so this is why this is yes, happening to her. She didn't appreciate it. She didn't appreciate her. being on top, mm-hmm. and. As she's, yep, as she's talking, Miles says it's kind of ironic that she can't go, um, but Murray Brown, the concessions guy, can. And you see the like er moment in Murphy, where as Candace turns around, and it's like you guys get it, Murray Brown, Murphy Brown, the no. concessions guy, but not me. No one gets it. Nobody's getting it. Do you, I? I mean, they kind of dance on everybody, that, and she explains that there yeah. was a mistake. Like Murray Brown got it. She basically says, you know, all that humble stuff she just said. Never mind. Oh, she goes. She goes. Flush it. Flush it. Obviously, That's another F yeah. word that they can't say. Uh huh. Yeah. Never mind. Flush it. And she starts to storm away. And she says she needs Murray's phone number, his home address, and a cab driver with a lead foot. I'm back. Ha. And this physical moment she has with the hot, it's a pump and thrust thing. Yeah, with her elbows and her hips going forward. And it is so, the punctuation of it. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's so clean and hysterical. And this is a very famous moment in Murphy Brown. Mm -hmm. This is a moment that Dying English 
says she feels is the moment that Candace Bergen became Murphy Brown. You see it. It's all, it just, it comes together and this coalesces in this beautiful moment of glory in a pelvic thrust. Because she's, <laughs> she's using all of her energy. She's mm-hmm. not stopping herself. She is just going for it. She's letting it go. Her breath yeah. is even, it, like she's just using her whole instrument. And that physical sort of gesture really sort of is like Murphy. It's a masculine gesture. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Quote, unquote. Yeah. And it's and she's doing it in, you know, a skirt and heels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, I see it. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, I cheered when I saw it for the first time again. Yeah. I was just... I, I love it. Knowing the history behind yep. it or not knowing the history behind it, mm-hmm. it is a, a gifable moment, maybe we might call it today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so that is why we alluded to at the beginning that this is a very important episode yep. in the, the history of the show and the evolution of Candace playing Murphy. Absolutely. So um, Murphy ends up at Murray Brown's house. And what I think is so lovely is she comes in and the first thing that Murray does is take her coat and purse. Like it's like one gesture as he's speaking yes. and puts it down. He's it, such a sweet. Gentleman. He's such a sweet gentleman, and he's he said that he, you know he wasn't sure at first why Murphy Brown was calling him, but then his wife figured it out, and she thinks, oh okay, they get it. She's like, oh, okay, so you understand. Like yeah. half her job is done for yeah. her, and he goes, you want to interview me? Because <laughs> he's going to the ball, and he's now an this is happening. Going to the ball, yeah. yeah. And then uh, his wife, Lillian, comes in with an entire tea service. And she's got a, a half apron around her waist over a silver sequined dress. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to offer Murphy some sherry, um, but she read about her problem. And, and Murray is like, Lillian! <laughs> and I love this. She goes, Murray, it's the 80s. We can talk about these things. Mrs. <laughs> Fallon in 4D, her son is gay. So what? Exactly. I love her. She's a forward-thinking woman. Yeah. And they go, they just can't believe that President Bush remembered them. And he's like, you, you met him? Yeah. They're like, for a minute. They, they met him at the airport while they were saying goodbye to their granddaughter. And, and she, and Murphy, you know, she, she definitely feels for them. And she, she's trying to explain, you know, isn't it so interesting that, you know, someone like Murphy Brown, who would normally be invited to these kind of things, but Murray Brown, mm-hmm. you know, she wants to know if he got it at work. The event came at work. He said he almost passed out. And she's trying to get them to figure it out first. Exactly. She doesn't have the heart to tell them. She's like, it's mine. And what I sort of love is that these are dilemmas that happen to Murphy. Yep. She's a, a character who is selfish. She's a character who is imp- opinionated, but she still ends up in these situations where it's sort of her uh, selfishness versus a moral dilemma. Yes, it's the moral dilemma. I, what I love is I think it really illustrates, and again, we kind of talked about women being bossy or mm-hmm. an ambition and, and strength and opinion in a woman being frowned upon. It's that wanting the best for herself wanting to get ahead as a as a powerful female has not robbed her of her humanity and her empathy and so that's why i enjoy these moments like she's she's being selfish sure because she's human but she's not so selfish that she's lost her ability to recognize that this might be more important yeah and it's Murphy's contrast that made mm-hmm. me love her. Yes. She's a strong role model. She's mm-hmm. something that, you know, you go, oh, I want to be that strong and have that self-confidence. And be that caring. Yeah. But she still cares. Mm-hmm. And the second that that, like, second that humanity switch gets flipped inside her, she she can't ignore it. It always wins. Yeah, because pretty much Murray's saying that, you know, all this time that he's worked at the concession stand... Mm-hmm. Important people go go by, and, go by and, and he's not important. Yeah, he's just a concession stand guy, and oh, it's so it's she really said. So you think she's going to tell him the truth? 
but she says that she's there to congratulate them. Mm-hmm. And it's really sweet. It's it's very sweet. So let me quickly just talk about these actors. So Edith yes. Fields, who plays Lillian Brown, is still working. Still. She was just in something in 2018. Grace and Frankie. Yes. I was so excited. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh. Um, but her. she's one of those sort of career character actors. You look mm-hmm. at her resume, she's been in everything. Uh, Lou Wills is that for most of his career, he was uh, credited as Lou Wills Jr. Yeah. For this, he's Lou Wills. Um, Lou Wills was known as one of the greatest acrobatic tap dancers of all time. He was the prodigy of the great Lou Wills. So he actually, it's not his real name. He took on the name Junior as sort of an homage to his mm-hmm. his mentor. Yep. And we're going to link some video to him dancing. Yes. It's Amazing. pretty unbelievable. And he was a staple of Broadway. He did, he did some films as well. Was in Best Foot Forward, which was choreographed in 1941 by Gene Kelly. You know that guy. Yeah. He had this really amazing career as a dancer. And then later on, as he got older, you know, did some television, like Too Close for Comfort. And there was this sort of joy when I Googled him that I found this video with this huge smile on my face. It's like, oh, my God. He's so good. It's amazing. It's And it's the stuff that I've seen movies recently where people talk about that they've, you know, added effect effects to dance scenes and so mm-hmm. on or even sometimes sped them up to make them yeah. fit music or look more interesting this stuff like this is why Fred Astaire and and Gene Kelly and these men like didn't need effects that's why those movies are still classics because if you have those skills it is you can it's electrifying you cannot look away it's joyous it's amazing so we end up at Murphy's house and Eldon Apparently went back to the 60s and 70s. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's in a maroon suit. He's almost got a with, pompadour thing oh yeah. going on. He went back, which I, it kind of makes sense. That was probably the last time he went out. Yeah. You but know? he always seems to have sort of that retro look. Like the shoes yeah, he had the bowling and the shirts shirt and, the, and so yeah. on. Mm-hmm. So he clearly has an aesthetic. And and he knows what he likes. And he has like the really just grossly pink ruffled oh. dress shirt underneath the maroon. So it's just it's it's just painful for the eyes. But he's strolling. He's like, it's a crime for one man to look this good. And oh, Eldon. Oh, Eldon. And he said the last time he wore it, it was to his cousin's wedding. It was a wedding. Um, yeah, because the bride kept looking at him. Yes, because the bride couldn't stop looking at him. Yeah. And he and, didn't, wasn't sure if you know she was going to say I do. And that's why I'm like, he, he doesn't. He's a painter. He doesn't go out a lot. And this is the only suit he owns. Sure. But he's super proud of it. Mm-hmm. And then we see Murphy's outfit. Damn, girl. Damn. Damn, girl. I feel like I've... I don't know if Candace has worn something similar to this in real life. Or maybe or, this is just burned in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Because I thought, oh, I think that this is her dress. And I mean, sometimes that happens a lot in mm-hmm. television because of the budget. Yeah. For like evening wear, you'll, sure. be, you'll see, oh... This person wore this dress to the Emmys and now they're wearing it on the West Wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I might it might be that she wore something similar, but I, I can't find the picture. Well, remember, but I feel also, like... we have seen her. So she's in this floor-length black dress with this white collar coming around. Which you point up, you brought up in a couple episodes back. She, that wears, she wears a lot, a lot of lapels. Of yeah, I so love it It so also much. kind of reminds me of the black lapel dress she wore with Jake. Yes, but this makes her look super tall. No, this one is amazing. She looks like a statue. And that white mm-hmm. contrast, she is stunning um eldon has a line that's very important to lauren (laughs) (laughs) well no it's the delivery yeah go ahead okay (laughs) murphy offers some food choices it's between it's linguine and clams and chicken yeah and they're 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 frozen i didn't write it down because that was the important part to me was oh a dilemma (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's just like that line is so banal. Yes. Like it's just nothing. It's just the way he and says Robert it. Robert Pastorelli just and we've talked about this with some of the writers that, you know, that he would just take these lines and make them completely make them different. Magic. And what I like is it's also a joke on that when she says it at first, because I missed what they were at first. And she's like, Well, would you like the chicken or the linguine with clams? Like they're at the fancy dinner. So she went and got mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I don't know if it was I don't know if it was lean cuisine at the time, but she got frozen dinners and she got yeah. they're supposed to be fancy meals. I often occasionally would have a um, meal like this while watching Murphy Brown. Of course. On my little TV tray. Yep. And so they have their little tray dinners and they're dressed to the nine. So it's like they're at their own version. And Murphy, it's she's doing the same thing we do for like the Globes or the Oscars. Mm-hmm. She's sitting back and just like razzing everybody. She, she's like Joan Rivers at this moment. She is. She's judging everybody. And I love it. She's ripping them to shreds. And then Ellen says, do you eat with that mouth? <laughs> And I love it. And Murphy is just not feeling what they're doing now because it's actually just making her feel worse. Yeah. So Eldon has a better idea on how they they look a bit too good. We look to, too good for this. Yes. They, they, they look too banging to just sit around the house watching other people have a good time. So they're going to leave. And he's going to take her for out for chili dogs. <laughs> I love that he goes, I know a joint. Yes, I know a joint that has the best chili dogs. And a jukebox that still takes nickels. Yeah, it does. And Murphy says, I mean, to be honest, it does. Sounds like her kind of evening. Yeah. I also think that, and this is something that Eldon sort of is in her life. It's mm-hmm. He knows that she doesn't need this. Yes. So, psychologically. Mm-hmm. He challenges her on these things. Yeah. Too. I think I think it's a lot about like, let's not do this. Mm-hmm. Which then he also reprimands her through the rest of the scene for yeah. being a child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In fact, in a way, and I, I feel like maybe I did read this. I don't know. He sort of becomes like her conscience. He's her Jiminy Cricket. He does. He calls her out on stuff. And also not just conscience, but he calls her just on her own BS. Yeah. And not just even if she's, if she's being good or not, but a you know you don't actually think this. Yeah, and Murphy needs that. Murphy yeah. as a person, but also as if this is a show that also wants to delve into the idea of celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can get to a point where yeah. people just don't tell you what they really think because you're so high up there. Well, let's be honest. This entire episode is the biggest first world problem yeah. I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry, privileged white woman, <laughs> that you can't go to the fancy dress ball. Like, but it's about relevancy. It, it's really about her relevancy. You know I'm not knocking oh, no, the no, episode. No. But I'm saying it's... Your biggest problem in this episode is that you can't go to the fancy dress ball at the yeah. White House. Like, I'm sorry. There are more important things in the world. You're going to be okay. Yeah. So, and But Eldon is that every man who kind of calls out, like, you don't need to be watching this thing. Let's go have chili dogs and jam. You, like, And this is all, and also because this is who you are. Murphy is not that dress. She's not that ball. She is the chick who wants to go dance in a ju- with a jukebox and chili dogs. Yeah. And I love that Eldon goes, boom, let's travel. <laughs> and she says, and after we're done eating, we can drive by the ball. And he's oh. like, oh, grow up. And she's like, we can yell out the windows. I'll lie down in the back seat. They'll never know who it was. Do you listen to yourself? Do you listen to yourself? You should be embarrassed. <laughs> and that's when he's just like, stop it. And she goes, okay, you're right. It's no way for a grown woman to behave. Eldon, have you ever mooned anyone? And then she, and grins. she grins. It's and he so goes, good. Oh, jeez. Jeez. This is the time when I think I should talk about the Jersey syllabic S. Let's go. So, (laughs) I know that it's technically a Z, but he turns it into an S. Yeah, it's definitely an S when he says it. So, um, my senior year of high school, I actually found a real acting class. Um, I found it too late, unfortunately. But there's literally a little tape of me, of my teacher, who had been on Broadway, trying to get the syllabic S out of me, which I could not hear. Mm Mm-mm. 
So you hear on the tape her saying dress and me going dress, 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 dress. <laughs> like I cannot get it. And I probably still, because now I, that I've lived in New York for so long, mm-hmm. I think some of my training has probably gone out the window. Yeah. Um, but uh, it made me first discover because I was unaware of it because um, Robert Pastorelli is from an area very close to where I grew up. Yep. Like mm-hmm. Joe is from Jersey, but like, Robert's from Robert's hood. from my hood in Jersey. Yeah. Yep. And we'll talk more about him when we have, you know, a more Elden episode. Yes. Which I cannot wait. But I love that it ends on the the geese. Geese. It's so good. So why are you not following us on social media? And if you are, thank you. Thank you so much for following us. We we greatly appreciate it. We do. We are on the Instagrams. On the Facebooks. And the Twitters. As Murphy Brown Pod. We also have a wonderful website called murphybrownpod.com where we post the episodes. Mm-hmm. We have an FAQ. We have a, a link to our Spotify playlist, Murphy Brown Empowerment Playlist, mm-hmm. music inspired and from the series Murphy Brown. So you can rock out. And hey, if you have a little extra time and you're you're excited about what we've been saying or you really want to share what Murphy Brown meant to you, you can call and leave us a voicemail. Uh, that number is 646-450-6902, one to two minutes, so we make sure that we don't have to cut it down or anything. We can fit it right in. We'd love to play that. Or if you don't, if you can't call that number, you can always um, record a voice memo on your phone and then email it to murphybrownpod at gmail.com. And you don't have to give your name if you don't want to. You can. It's totally up to you. You can say you want to go by best friend of the podcast. There you go. Also on the website, um, we will be listing always show notes. So mm-hmm. little tidbits, like we're going to post the video of Lou dancing. Yes. Um, any little extras on what we talk about. posting a picture of um, Henry and Nancy Kissinger. Lovely. One-stop shopping. <laughs> uh, next week... We're going to talk about Kyle. Yay. I'm so excited to talk about Kyle. Because we get to talk about Leslie Jordan. Yes. If We're anyone gonna, doesn't know. You you know Leslie Jordan. Even if you, we say Leslie Jordan and you're like, nah, I never heard of you. You've know, heard, Leslie, you know Jordan. Leslie, yeah. Leslie Jordan. And, you definitely do. And uh, an episode written by Russ Woody. Mm-hmm. Do we um, enjoy his work? It, you will not be. If you've been following what we we're saying about the writers and some of their, their tendencies and the things they bring to the table, you will not be surprised that Kyle is a Russ Woody script. Yeah. We'll talk more about that. <laughs> And we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Do I have to bleep that out? Can we say that? Why? Uh, I don't want us to get an E. Screw you? Screw is okay. Yeah. yeah it's not okay. a curse. We didn't say f- No. No, um, you did. <laughs>